One of the rhythms that we have here at Redeemer is every few weeks I ask someone different to come and to share their testimony. Um, I think it's an important uh, part of the liturgy of this church uh, that we hear more from more than just the pastors. We hear from one another um, that we have the opportunity to testify to the Lord's grace in our lives. And so this morning I have asked Mary Eleanor Trucks if she would come and share. And Mary Eleanor, we look forward to hearing from you. I'm so sorry for those of you who are hearing it for the third time. <laughs> when Joel texted me this week and asked me to share today, I quickly tried. Well, first of all, a chill went through me. And then I tried to think of an excuse, a good excuse, where I could get out of this. And then Joel sent me this text, and I quote, If you love Jesus... <laughs> then you should think of this as an opportunity, a great opportunity, to testify of his beauty and power, end quote. And then he added, but absolutely no pressure. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it on my phone. I'll probably leave it there. Well, good morning. I'm Mary Eleanor Trucks. Richard and I have been married for 51 years. Yes, he is a saint. We have a wonderful family. Mary Becca, Laura Beth, Rich and his wife, Jennifer, and their children, Olivia and Charlie, and Jim and his wife, Lindsay. I was blessed to be born the middle child, yes, I am a middle child, in a family of five in a pastor's family. My father was Brother Jimmy Cantrell, and he was the pastor of Third Presbyterian Church on Birmingham's south side. It was a wonderful time growing up. We had nothing, and yet we didn't realize it. He served as the second pastor following Brother Brian, his entire ministry there for 37 years. My mom worked beside him, playing the piano and the organ and teaching piano lessons, which I missed out on. Like all children, we went through the communicants class after which I joined the church, not knowing what it meant to know the Lord. But I was a member. It wasn't until many years later that I found out there was more to being a Christian than just being a member of the church. And later I came to know the Lord. When you've been raised in a Christian family and church, it's sometimes hard to actually pinpoint the day and hour and time where you pray to receive Christ, but I know that he is my savior and that I trust in him. I thought that being a preacher's kid was a great thing. That is until my first year at college. I went to Judson, which is a Baptist girl's school in Marion, Alabama. My roommate told me she was scared to death to meet me and to room with a PK because all the preacher's kids she knew were wild. Well, I thought, maybe that's because you only know Baptist preacher's kids. <laughs> Shortly after college, Richard and I married, and within only a few months, he was sent to Southeast Asia during the Vietnam conflict. I stayed in Birmingham and taught 7th and 8th grade at a school in North Birmingham called Carrie A. Tuggle. While overseas, Richard felt the call to go into the ministry. So after his tour of duty, 
He came back and finished his undergraduate work at Sanford, and then we went on to Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Third Press called Richard to be their third pastor. A week after his ordination and installation, my dad died of colon cancer. He had been gravely ill for months, and we had spent each weekend driving back and forth from Jackson for Richard to preach. We felt like we knew the congregation, having both grown up in that church, but were we ever in for a shock? It's a lot to learn how to work with people. It wasn't always easy being a pastor's wife. There were many trying times because I tend to let what people said to me or about me or especially criticisms about my husband bother me. I thought everyone was supposed to like you, right? So lesson learned, try not to take criticism to heart, which is easier said than done. Being a mom has been my full-time job, and I loved almost every aspect of it. <laughs> when your children are little, you think that these times will never end, and they will. It was hard for me to let them go. We homeschooled before it was popular to do. Then one by one, they entered high school, then college, and then their vocations. And my job changed. So I threw myself into caring for my sister, my mom, and my aunt. And one by one, that changed. All this time, I was busy working in the church, and I loved it from Bible studies, to teaching Sunday school, to choir, to children's choir, to musicals, to major dramas at Easter where we actually had Jesus on a cross and crucified him. There was big time <laughs> to, to vacation Bible school, plus being at every service. My life and those of our children were totally immersed in our ministry at third. The busier I was, the better. I loved it. And then, after 40 years, that changed. Richard retired. And the church I had loved and been raised in since birth, the same church we had raised our children in, no longer needed us there anymore. We had to leave. Certainly not because we were forced to leave. No, the congregation, and the leadership honorably retired Richard and wished us well. But I thought this church needed us, needed me, in order to keep going. They called a new pastor, and the church has continued to go forward under its new leadership without us. That didn't diminish the pain of change, of being separated from the body of believers that we had loved as well as the place where I had worshiped all of my life. Change has not been easy for me to walk through, and I certainly have not done it very gracefully. It's been difficult to let go, to let go of our church, to let go of our children, to let God lead them in what he would have them to do. God has never changed in all of this. My circumstances have, but he has never. His love for me continues and his making a way for our family. My life changed from having a purpose to wondering what next, to going from a church where I knew 
everybody by name to a new church where I knew very few and to new Sunday routines. The first Sunday after we left third, we visited Redeemer with Jim. He actually invited us. You all welcomed us and seemed genuinely glad to see us come back Sunday after Sunday as we sat in the back. But you're all so young. (laughs) And we're, well, I, I try to put it this way when Denny, I guess all of you know Denny, The first Sunday he welcomed us, he said, Oh, I'm so glad you're here, because now I won't be the oldest one here anymore. (laughs) So thank you for receiving us every week, for letting me get my feet back under me after all these times of change, for showing us how such a young congregation loves each other and welcomes strangers, even old ones, into their midst, and for showing us each Sunday the love of God as you worship him here. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Eleanor. I enjoyed that every time. Uh, Mary Eleanor's son, uh, Jim, said that I would never, ever get her to share her testimony And I said, well, you grew up Presbyterian, so you're used to people only speaking grace. I'm going to give some good guilt to get her up there. (laughs) And it worked. (laughs) See you all. Uh, The reason I asked Mary Eleanor to share is because of our topic this morning, which is Proverbs 31, the excellent woman or the excellent wife. You could go ahead and turn there. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to tell you where you're going to be going for the next few weeks. Uh, Next week is either going to be fantastic or terrible. Uh, We'll we'll see. Uh, We're going to do something very different. I'm just going to walk through the Bible in an hour. I'm actually going to bring a marker board up here, and we're just going to walk through the whole thing, beginning with your table of contents, and just walk through the Bible. Did that about five years ago. I think it was beneficial. Uh, We're going to try that again, so be sure to bring a journal, you know, a, a fresh pen or pencil. Um, because we're going to go over a lot of material next week. Then the week after that, we begin a new series, which is going to be on the gospel and the life of David. Uh, So we're going to be walking through 1st and 2nd Samuel, and that's going to take us probably all the way through spring break at least, and I'm really looking forward to that series. Uh, But this morning, uh, we bring Proverbs to a close, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her hands to the needy. 
She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes her bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this woman that we have just read about and for preserving this text over the years that we might benefit from her wisdom and see the beauty of your wisdom. I pray that you would write that wisdom deep in our hearts. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. Lord, may your word remain and may it change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so women, be honest with me. As you heard me going through that chapter and reading all of the characteristics of this woman, were you inspired or intimidated? I mean, she's a pretty remarkable woman, so I would understand if you felt just a little defeated as you heard everything she does so well. She takes care of her household. She cooks amazing dinners. She brings the food in from afar, so she's cooking exotic dishes. She makes all of her kids' clothes. She runs her own business. She even makes her own wine. She owns her own vineyard. She also dabbles in real estate while also running a soup kitchen. (laughs) People flock to her because they just love to hear her teach. Uh, She regularly works out at the gym. Perhaps she does Pilates or CrossFit because we read that her arms are strong. (laughs) I mean, she is an amazing woman. And and let's just be honest. If she had an Instagram account, (laughs) every one of you would be following her. And you would love and hate her at the same time, wouldn't you? Uh, she's essentially Joanna Gaines, okay? That's, that's who she is. I mean, come on, is anybody really that great, that good, does all those things really that well? As a matter of fact, this woman is presented as so remarkable to us that a lot of readers just kind of assume that she didn't really exist. Um, She was just made up. You even find some commentators who also agree with this. And I will say that most of those commentators are women. They're like, trust me, no one is like that. But I would argue, actually, that she is a real woman. She seems very rooted and grounded in history. There's nothing here to indicate that she is not real, except for perhaps a description of her children rising up to bless her. Uh, That's a stretch. (laughs) But I do think she existed, and she 
is written about here because she exemplifies the wisdom of Proverbs. Uh, Now, if you were thinking there's absolutely no way that one woman could do all of those things, I would agree with you. If it was describing all of those things in the same season or at the same moment of time, that would be impossible, but that is not what I think is happening here. I think what we are seeing being described is a lifetime of wisdom. I've actually read some obituaries, and perhaps you have too, of of godly women. And they've read remarkably similar to this description here of this Proverbs 31 woman. And what you see over a lifetime, the way uh, the the women in those obituaries have taught and they have served and how they were faithful spouses and parents, and it's what a lifetime of wisdom looks like. So she represents wisdom, I think, over the long haul. Uh, Whether she's an actual person or not, don't get hung up on that, because that is the purpose of this poem, is to show you what wisdom looks like. You want to understand what the previous 30 chapters of Proverbs are all about? Look at this woman. I mean, just think about it. Over the last nine weeks, as we've been going through all the different topics that Proverbs has brought up, uh, you have heard sermons on the value of hard work, of being a faithful spouse, of using your speech well and to bring healing instead of hurt to others, of using your wealth, of taking care of the poor, of being humble, of serving. This woman checks every one of those boxes that we have gone over the last nine weeks. That's why she is presented here to us at the end. It's as if God is saying, you want to know the beauty of my wisdom? You want to know what that looks like? Look at this woman. Isn't she amazing? The way that she speaks to others, the way that she serves, the way that she creates, the way that she contributes to society, that is what a life lived under my wisdom looks like. And can you imagine if the whole world lived that way, how transformed this world would be? I think that's what we're supposed to do as we come to this text. I think that's why it's here at the end, and that's why it's actually written in a really unique way. It's written different than the other chapters of Proverbs. This is written as a poem. This woman is described in 22 verses. Each one of those verses begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic. None of the other chapters of Proverbs are like this. This is to stand out here. And I think the reason that the author who wrote this did it as an acrostic with the entire Hebrew alphabet is because they wanted to say, you want to know the A to Z of wisdom? You want to know all about wisdom? Here's the dictionary right here. Study this woman. And guys, I do want to just say this, that although this is a woman here, she is not being presented to us as a model woman. She is being presented to us as a model person. She's a model for everyone. I know uh, that this chapter, for some reason, is often just you know, relegated to women's Bible studies with women's teachers. I do not know why, because we all have so much to glean from her. I also should probably point out that this is not just for married people. Uh, the word that's translated an excellent wife here, uh, that word in Hebrew can be translated virtuous woman as well, and some of your translations might have that. 
Uh, this woman here is married, which is why they translate it excellent wife. But it's the same word that's used to describe Ruth. When she was widowed, she was single. She was an excellent woman or a virtuous woman. And I actually think it's helpful for us to hold up Ruth along with holding up this excellent wife here because they both have the same description of an excellent woman, but very different lives. This woman here in Proverbs, she was wealthy. She was healthy. Her life seemed to be fairly easy. You don't have any mention of suffering. And Ruth had the opposite of that. And I'm thankful for both of those stories because you get to see wisdom played out in both of those situations. As a matter of fact, in some of the older uh, Hebrew Bibles, Ruth actually came after Proverbs 31. They tied the two together. Before we jump in to the description of the woman, we do need to look at the first 10 verses that set up the poem. I know a lot of people just kind of skip over those first 10 verses, but actually they lay the foundation for this virtuous woman. And so I want us to briefly look at them. Verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Uh, this is actually, I, I think, really sweet. You have a king. We have no idea who this king is. But he's thinking back unto his mother's wisdom. He remembers it. The, his, what his mother said to him as a child, he actually remembers it, and he's held on to it for his life. So moms, take heart. Your children are listening to what you say. Uh, and it was instructive for him. And then he goes on to tell about the sweet words of his mom. And I, I can't help but laugh every time. This is what he remembers his mom saying to him. What are you doing, my son? <laughs> what are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? That's how he remembers his mom. <laughs> As we all remember our mothers. I mean, we've all been there, Lemuel. You can almost picture he just got caught doing something. And essentially his mom's like just grabbing him and dragging him out going, what are you doing, my son? And that's what he remembers from his mom. And she goes on, or the poem goes on to tell what she said after that. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Basically, little King Lemuel got caught partying and chasing women and booze. And his mom graciously pulled him out of it and gave him some very stern words that he remembered to that day. That is not how a king should behave. And then she goes on in the rest of this introduction to tell what a king is supposed to do. She said a king is supposed to give a voice to the voiceless, to stand up for the oppressed, to stand up for those who are in need and the poor. A king is supposed to judge righteously. That's what a king does. Not chasing women and booze. And then this sets up the poem for the excellent woman. Basically, the mom is saying this. Listen to me, little King Lemuel. If you want to pursue anything, pursue an excellent wife. Pursue wisdom, and for you, wisdom looks like an excellent wife. And this would probably be the time for me to just grab hold of some low-hanging fruit here and to speak to the single guys as to what you should be pursuing. You should be pursuing wisdom. And for many of you, pursuing wisdom will be pursuing an excellent 
wife, not pursuing all those other things. And by pursue, I mean be intentional and pursue. And if you're thinking, well, I just don't know of any virtuous woman, women, come and talk to me and I will point you in the right direction. <laughs> because we have so many godly, virtuous women here at this church. Can I get an amen? amen. And so I'm happy to point you in the right My email box is going to be so full, I know. <laughs> Probably from elders going, you didn't. But hey, <laughs> it needed to be said. All right, so what does this virtuous woman look like? Let's go through a few of these characteristics of her. Uh, one of the main things you see is that this is a woman who works hard. All the words that describe her are words of action. I mean, just look at everything she does. She's described as seeking wool and flax, putting her hands to the staff and the spindle. She makes her own beddings. She makes linen garments. In verse 18, we read how she's burning the midnight oil. In other words, she is the exact opposite of the sluggard that we looked at weeks ago. This is not a woman who sluggardly lays on the couch, binge-watching on Netflix all day, or just thinking, I have to watch every football game on Monday and Thursday and Saturday and Sunday. She's not the one who puts her hand in the dip it's like, oh, so, remember? It's like so hard to bring it to my mouth. Now, this is a woman, she goes to the grocery store and she buys the avocados. And then on the way home, she's picking up the dry cleaning. She gets home, she goes to the garden, she plucks the tomatoes, and then she makes her own guac. That's this woman. She's not the couch potato. And here's the thing. She is wealthy enough to where she doesn't have to do any of this. It's obvious from the descriptions we have of her that she's fairly well off. She could just sit around, be bored, try to entertain herself, but she doesn't. She doesn't just sit on the talents that God has given her and do nothing with them. And when I think of her, I, I, I think of Jesus in the parable of the talents. She was given many talents but she didn't just sit on them. She multiplied those talents. She maximized the giftings that God gave her. And I love how thoughtful she is as she goes about her work. In verse 16, we read that she considers a field and buys it. She's not an impulse buyer. She doesn't just throw money around, jump into everything. She thinks a thing through before purchasing it. Is this something she really needs? Will this purchase pay dividends? She's viewed as a contributor, not a consumer of goods. She's always contributing to society. We read that she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. I love that. Once again, intentional thought as to what she's doing. And she's like, you know, the things I'm making have value. And then so she finds a way to sell it in the marketplace. This is a smart, capable, hard-working woman. And she's doing this all not for herself. Notice she's always serving those around her. All her labors here are for others. Her husband and her family are the ones who benefit from her labors. 
I mean, she's making them breakfast. She's packing them lunches. She's putting things in the crock pot so they'll have dinner at night. She's making sure none of the kids run out, you know, without wearing the right clothes. She's serving her household. She's also serving the poor. In verse 20, we have this description of her reaching out to the poor with her hands. And I love that because if you read verse 19, but before that, she's holding on to two tools of her trade, one in each hand. And then we have this picture of her letting go of those things. And then it says she gives to the poor. And then it says she reaches out to them. And that's not just showing that she's generous. She's taking the money she gets from her trade, and now she's opening that up to the poor. She's not just generous. It's with both hands. She's reaching out to them. It's, it certainly looks like an embrace. She's giving her money. She's giving her affection. All of her labors here seem to be labors of love. As a matter of fact, the, the only thing she makes for herself, that she actually does for herself, and once again, I find this somewhat humorous, she has to apparently make her own bed coverings. Uh, understandable, we all want, you know, comfortable sheets, high thread count. She apparently can't find that anywhere else, and so she's like, I will make my own bed coverings. But everything else she is making for other people. Do you know people like this? I do here at this church. I know many women like this who love to willingly serve others, to do all those little things for people without giving a thought about themselves. That's, they joyfully serve. Can I just say that when you do that, one of, one of the things that is just so beautiful about that is for those of you who serve in those million different ways, you make people, they feel seen. They feel seen and loved. It is such a demonstration of the gospel, which this woman later does when it says kindness drips from her lips. Kindness is the word hesed or steadfast love. It's used to describe God. She is generous with her works, with her money, and with the kindness of her mouth. The most remarkable thing I find about this woman, though, is found in verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. I've mentioned this verse several times at the church as to the most remarkable quality of this woman, that she can laugh at the future. Now, I think in a culture that struggles so much with anxiety and fear, it's hard to even comprehend a woman like this who doesn't have an anxious bone in her body. She laughs at what's to come. I found that many Christians are often so stressed, so overwhelmed, so anxious, that they struggle to laugh now in the present, let alone laugh at what might come. Uh, But here we have a woman who is so filled with joy, and she knows that nothing can take that joy away from her. Nothing can hit her to take away that joy. And this is not because she has wealth. It's not because she has a loving husband or a family. It's not because she has the career maybe she's always wanted. It's not because she has a good home. Because all those things could actually be taken away from you in the future. You see that in the book of Ruth. 
She had those things and they were all taken away from her at one point. That's not why she could laugh at what is to come. She could laugh at the future because of how she has clothed herself. Notice how she's clothed. She's wearing something that will never go out of style. It will never fade. It will never wear out and no one can ever take it from her. She has clothed herself with strength and dignity. Have you ever heard the the saying, there is no such thing as bad weather, only bad gear? We say that a lot at our household because our family, we love to go hiking. And a lot of times our kids forget to wear the right gear. And so when bad weather comes, they're shivering or they're cold or whatever. It's like, why didn't you bring? We bought those jackets for a reason. No such thing as bad weather, only bad gear. If you're wearing the right clothes for the right weather, then you need fear nothing. You'll always be comfortable. Do you notice that throughout this chapter, we have all of these materials being described? And we have materials like wool, flax, linen, warm clothing, dressed in scarlet, But when this woman's garments are described, not a single material thing is mentioned. She wears strength and dignity. And because she is dressed like this, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's no such thing as a bad season coming her way. She'll never have to worry about being exposed to whatever harmful elements are out there. She is protected She is comfortable. She can laugh. This is a woman who knows who she is, and more importantly, knows whose she is. She belongs to the Lord, and she trusts in him. No matter what season she's in, she's protected. This brings us to our final point. She does not fear the future because she fears the Lord. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I read that verse at every wedding. Every wedding I've ever done, I have read that verse. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Did you notice that all 22 of those verses in Proverbs There is not one single description of what this woman looks like. Not a single description of her appearance. Remarkable. Over 22 verses, when you're writing a poem about a woman to not comment on her appearance, to not mention anything about her face, her eyes, her hair, her body, nothing. And now we know why. It's because beauty is vain. The word vain, it means it's empty. Beauty is useless, which is absolutely not how the world views beauty, is it? I mean, beauty is what opens doors. Uh, Beauty is how you find dates. Beauty is how you get into sororities. Beauty is what makes you money. Beauty is what brings you fame or makes people notice you. It brings praise. And we all know that, which is why we have mirrors at our house. 
I mean, there's no other reason for you to have a mirror at your house except for the fact that you want to at least look somewhat beautiful as you leave. And that's why you spend so much time putting on the makeup or doing your hair or making sure you have the right clothes because you know how the world works. The world praises beauty. But here in this remarkable woman, we read that beauty is vain, meaningless. Can I say as an aside to the husbands here, speak directly to you. Make sure when you praise your wife, you praise more than just her physical beauty. I realize like you can't help yourself. What, I mean, you're married to a beautiful woman. You're always going to be commenting on the way that she looks. You find her beautiful. That's great. I'm not asking you to stop doing that. But praise her more for more than that. Praise her for the things that will not fade. Because also with every praise you give about her physical beauty, there's also a pressure on her knowing those things will ultimately fade. Praise her in the things that will not go away. Praise her the fruits of the Spirit you see growing in her. Praise her of the character that she has and how it reflects Christ. Praise the way that she fears the Lord. Fan those things into flame. And if you're not married, fan those things into flame with your friends. Praise more than their appearance. Praise their character, the things that matter. Remember, it's the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's praiseworthy. Notice that the book of Proverbs, it begins and it ends with that theme, the fear of the Lord. When we started the book of Proverbs, it was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now we come to the end of Proverbs and we see what the fear of the Lord, the fruit that it has brought. And it's praiseworthy. A woman who fears the Lord need not fear any other thing. The fear of the Lord is not a fear that drives one to anxiety or to despair. The fear of the Lord drives you to laughter. Now, if you fear the latest headline, if you hear the way your 401k is fear the way your 401k is looking, you fear the news you might get from the doctor, you fear what the world is going to call you because of your beliefs. You fear those things, you will be filled with anxiety. You won't laugh now nor at the future. But if you fear the Lord, well, that's a solid rock that you could build your entire life on. Because you know that no matter what comes your way, you will never be separated from his love. You see, ultimately, Proverbs 31 is about the love of Christ towards us. It's about another king who pursued another bride. Remember this chapter, it began with King Lemuel, and he was being reminded that he needs to quit sinning. He needs to not pursue sin, but what he needs to pursue is uh, judging righteously. And he needs to pursue his bride. This is exactly what our King Christ Jesus has done. He did not pursue a life of sin. As a matter of fact, he never sinned. He judged righteously. And then he did not just pursue an excellent wife. Jesus has created an excellent wife through his blood. You see, the, Proverbs of third, the woman of Proverbs 31 points to us in our standing that we have with Christ. As the bride of Christ, Jesus has clothed us with something that will never fade, something that will never perish, 
something that will protect us in every season. He has clothed us with his own righteousness. And in that righteousness, we find strength and we find dignity that could protect us from whatever the world throws our way. Is this what you clothe yourself with as you leave the doors every day? If not, you'll be filled with fear. Proverbs is calling us once again, no, don't fear those things. Let the fear of the Lord be the beginning of your wisdom. Pray with me. Father, we thank you again for this woman preserving her story for us over 3,000 years now. Lord, I pray that we would learn from her as she points us to you. Thank you for how you have clothed us with your righteousness, Jesus. You protected us from the elements. There is nothing Satan can throw our way to hurt us. And we can laugh at the present and laugh at the future. We will be laughing even after death itself. Praise you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.